Hey everybody, this is Alex, and this is Lunchbox Radio. Now, before we get started on the episode that and what we'll be talking about today, I just wanted to remind you guys to go listen to the last episode in the Movie May, like, four-part months of episodes that you can go check out on the feed right below this. It's all about Pocoroso. I highly... Um, I highly hope that you check it out because Pokeros is a good movie. If you don't know anything about it, it's a good intro. Um, but I managed to be, I think, non-spoilerly enough, but who knows? Um, I don't, as you well know, I don't do this based on spoiler stuff. So just know that going into any of these, really, honestly. Um, but on a completely different note. Um, I have news. Nothing really that pertains to you guys right now, but I have officially dove back into 3D printing, and if you've been listening to this um, podcast for a while, you know that I have done both kinds of 3D printing that, like, you can get your hands on. I have most, I have most successfully done um, PBS printing. Um, I think it's called. PBS based printing, which is the like, which is the needle that traces shapes and like melts plastic and all that stuff. But I have most often done a style of printing called SLA printing, which uses a lot of chemicals and a lot of UV light to like make to to essentially make super high quality single piece prints. Um, at least that's how I use it. You can use it in a bunch of ways. But, um, I got, I dove back into that and, um, I've been having a lot of fun with that. I still got some equipment on the way, but for the most part, I've got the machines. I've got the know-how. I already successfully printed one thing. It's off to the races. I think I finally made all the mistakes is what, is what I'm also saying. Like, I, um, I bought a bad printer from a bad printer company. I'm not going to put them on blast here. Um, I also, you know, I've, I've, I've made boo-boos. I have made prints that have been like nightmare things completely. Most of my prints come out fairly well executed at this point. Um, I glazed a printer. If you don't know what glazed a printer means, that means that the vat had a leak and I didn't catch it. And the entire print surface glazed over and it it's currently a useless brick sitting in my like in my trash bay basically i have a i have a running trash bay because um i have some electronic trash like an old microphone an old busted dvd uh blu-ray player and now that printer that like need need to be driven down to the dump directly because they will not take them because they are major electronic devices um, but with that said, I want to jump into what we're talking about this week. And that's a little show known as That Time I Got Reincarnated as a Slime.
This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Now, for those of you who don't know, the, the like isekai or like transported to another world genre has been a thing since... Well, since forever, honestly, like, there's all kinds of, like, attempts to be, like, who created Isekai. Some people say it was, um, Yoshiki Tomino with, or, with, um, Dunbine. Um, other people say it was other people, but the bottom line is that it got, like, it got to the point that it is now, and it, it discovered the form that it has, that it uses now in terms of storytelling and plot devices and basic structure after Sword Art Online. And the funny thing about Sword Art Online is that it wasn't a isekai. It feels like it, but it's technically a quote-unquote trapped in a game MMO. Like, no one's bodies go to this, go to, like, Alfheim or go to Sword Art Online. All of their bodies are, like, not safe because they're hooked up to helmets that might microwave their brain that will microwave their brains and kill and actually kill them if they die in the game they die in real life that's the thing um i don't think i'm blowing your mind here but like the the function is the same and it was so popular and ran for so long and i've talked about sort of online on the podcast you can go check it out you can go check out like my thoughts on Gungale Online and all this other stuff, but the author kind of grew into himself and grew up writing that thing to the point of where, like, the Kirito fantasy, like, power fantasy that exists in the first episode episodes of that show is totally different. And I know there's lots of bad things about Sora Online, but this is one good thing that came from this writer making this show. By the time you get to the end, where we are in like the current Sora Online universe, he has totally sidelined. He has put Kirito in a coma because he wanted to focus, probably because he wanted to focus on the female cast of that show. And there are, like, statements from, I forget the um, creator of Sword Online's um, source material or light novels, but 
there are statements from him that say, like, look, I haven't been the best about using, fe- about A, using female characters, or B, treating the female characters I make with very much respect. And he kind of vowed to change that and vowed to stop using sexual assault as, like, a plot device just for, like, shock and awe. And you can see from where that show went and where that show ends up that he really, even if he didn't totally ditch it, he really did attempt to and really did, and it really did change. The back half of the second season of Sword On Online is, of, of, the, of Sword On Online, the Gungale Online thing, like the back half of that is devoted to largely to Asuna and a disabled girl hanging the fuck out with like, and Asuna uses Kirito's like brain. He's like, she's like, put her in this robot so we could hang out. <laughs> for a large portion of that, for for a large portion of the bat of the back half of that show, actually. So that kind of gross curve, it's from what many people would rightfully, including me, kind of treat as the kind of progenitor of what isekai look like now and for for mostly bad if we're honest and i'm gonna lean on and i'm gonna lean i'm not gonna lean on sword online here but i'm gonna lean on this like cooler older brother or cooler younger brother i think it's more accurate and that is um log horizon the reason I'm going to lean on Log Horizon is because I think Log Horizon is illustrative of... This is where, like, slime, slime Tensei fans are going to, like, either log on or off, depending. Um, I think there's a lot wrong with this show. I think there's a lot wrong with Slime Sand. And I, I couldn't get there until I started to think about it in the context of what kind of these shows I like. And, but I also, I understand why people like it because I think it's doing... Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say the part that I would try and save to the end, but probably save five times because I'm a dumbass. Um, but I'm gonna say it right here. Slime Sand is doing its best to hit all the check boxes of a kind of this show that works really well that is really good a good version of the of the kind of isekai show it is but it's not doing the work to get the viewer there in time and i when i was watching this i like shotgunned it from like Episode one to the to the to the current episode that we are now. It went from one to end of season two, like all like over like a week or something over like a over largely this month, the um the month of May, and that part of the reason why I wanted to do movie May was because I wanted to give myself like room to run and really watch something, um and I did obviously I watched forty eight episodes of slime of. That time I got reincarnated as a slime. Honestly. Uh, obviously. But the... The thing that I kept encountering was... 
am I just watching this too quickly or am I or does it not matter that I'm not consuming it week to week I, I saw a YouTube video I wish I could remember this um, YouTuber's name because her videos are extremely long and can get very boring but they're really insightful and thoughtful and interesting and she published a video lately about the fact that you probably don't enjoy binge watching and in the, in the beginning of that video, she talks about terrestrial TV and the way it's paced and the way it's made for a week-to-week -week viewer who may have seen the previous episodes, who may not have, who may just be dropping in the middle, and like the way TV shows are designed for that purpose. And in the act of, like, if you're an anime fan, we are still doing this. We watch stuff week-to-week. We are watching Spy X Family week to week. We may miss a couple weeks and catch up, but we are watching things that are made to be put in front of us week to week. Once you get into Netflix, and Netflix is like prized binge culture, that's a little different, but for the large part, you know, you're watching something, especially something like Slime Sand, you're watching it on like Thursdays every week. And... The, the thing that I kind of came to the conclusion of is, no, I'm not, like, I'm not missing out on the pacing that would be week to week because, let's take the character of Shizu, who I think is in about four episodes before, before she dies, not including her actually pretty good, um, like, prequel episodes, it's like an OVA that they made, um, she and she drew as a character in this show that's summoned to the world, and she's summoned to the world from the era of like I want to say World War Two Japan, and she's summoned out of her home, out of her hometown as it's being firebombed, like a tornado of fire just erupts around her and wallows her whole and brings her to um this character named Leon something. I forget Leon's last name, but Leon is one of the is one of the kind of like rulers of the world that um that slime sand takes place in. And that world is governed by this thing called demon lords. And so Here's the first thing. They call these characters demon lords. But they are... They're largely not benevolent and evil. Couple of, couple of them are. But they're not like... They're not necessarily the bad guys or the good guys. They're just like super powerful things that you find out later have done something that is like unspeakable <laughs> in order to get to the criteria to be considered a demon lord. And, but even that, not really. But the, and there's a bunch of them. It's not like there's one, there's like 15 or something. There's actually eight, technically. Um, but the whole, thing of this world is 
Shizu is summoned from World War II Japan into this place, and she is this tragic figure because since she was a child, she's like been around for decades, like close close to a hundred years at least. She has been kind of cursed with this spirit of fire that she carries around. And they give this all to you over the kind of four episodes she's in. But then they immediately dispose of her. And they, like, you don't, you don't get very much of this character. And that was, you, you don't get enough of this character in a way that attaches you to her. In a, in a way that you think you're gonna ha- she's going to be around for a while. And the thing that, that's the thing that really tipped me off to what this show is trying to do. Because up until this point, it had a pretty, in, it has a pretty interesting premise, has a pretty in, interesting mechanic, and that's the mechanic of the use of names in this, in um, Slime Sand's story and world. So, um, we, but we start this, we start this story in like a normal world where, um, I forget the main character's real name, um, but Rimuru, the, the, titular main character of this story starts as a normal human in current day Japan. And he gets stabbed, as he puts it, by a rando. He gets stabbed by a, like, by a... He gets assaulted, basically, and dies. And then he's reincarnated into... as a slime, like the basic monster, a slime in... This fantasy world. I forget what the fantasy world's called. It doesn't really matter. And he's reincarnated in this cave where he hangs out in the cave for probably about a month. And in that month, he meets this dragon named Valdora the Storm Dragon. And in this world, probably the most interesting mechanic they have is the name. Is the naming system, is what I'm going to call it. And the naming system is essentially nobody in nobody in this world has no monsters at least in this world are born with or born and given names. When they're given a name, they like assume a different hierarchy and then they become like stronger and bigger and they like evolve essentially. So Rimuru and Valdo- Valdora gives Rimuru a name, gives Rimuru his name and Rimuru gives both of them their last name, which is Tempest. And that powers both of them up, but Rimuru is also like a thinking, talking, like absorbing, ever absorbing slime. And the joke to most of the characters is like a slime can't possibly do most of this shit. But that's the that's the most interesting part of it, and then you get to like the building of the goblin, just building of a goblin village. He names all the goblins, which causes them to like evolve, and then eventually you meet the kind of his kind of like primary crew, and that's these ogres, and these ogres are um, named. And he gives names to these ogres. So the thing you have to remember is, like, he's giving all of these 
giving every character who the, in his like vicinity a name. So Benny Morrow is the name of the first is is the name of the first ogre. Um. She. Shion is the one you're probably the most familiar with, actually, of most of the series. And she's, like, the hot secretary ogre with a giant sword. I actually, she's a really good character design and a pretty good, strong female character. So I did order a figure of her. She follows my rules. Um, I have rules about ordering figures, actually, hilariously, to keep me from spending all my money. Then there's Sohei, who's, like, a ninja ogre guy when he evolves. And then there's... Shuna, and Shuna is like a priest character. Um, there, there is another one, I forget his name, but he becomes like a blacksmith. Um, but the, so the first thing that like, I don't like about this show is that it, the goblins were one thing. The goblins, goblins are like humanoid-esque characters, but the ogres, and the ogres, in certain ways are too, but often when they choose to evolve, when this show chooses to evolve the character, it doesn't retain a whole lot of their monster-like qualities. They more often than not become more human-like. And I understand why the show's doing that. It wants you to... I think the show's doing it for two reasons. It wants you to be able to identify with these characters. But then also down the line, when these characters start doing some real heinous shit, it wants you to have identified with these characters enough to go along with that with that heinous shit. And I'll get to that heinous shit in a second. And then they have... Uh, but there's one character who doesn't change all that much, and that's Gaboda. And Gaboda's like... A fairly central side character in the show. Like, he has a lot of speaking lines. He has a lot of presence and screen time. But... This show... It gives you all these characters. And it gives you characters that you're supposed to, like, be attached to. And it's not spending the amount of time with it. And... like I said, Shion is a tremendous character design. <laughs> um, that's not true of all the characters, but by and large, the characters have really good designs, even in their like, like level one forms. And I think, I think they're relying a lot on this show, on on just like making cute, attractive character designs, and like slotting in. Pretty standard anime personalities that you'd expect from each character design to make up for shortcomings in the characters that make you disattach from them. And I, I, I realize, and I want to be really clear here, I realize I've seen a lot of anime. Like I, I've seen, I trust me, I've seen a lot of anime. I see it every, I see it every week. I see it at least every week when I open up, um, I see the count at least every week when I open up, um, my anime list and I see it every time I add a show that I've finished to my anime list. Um, and I can just tell you, I've seen a lot. 
And I know that that informs my bias against that show because I am functioning with a wider variety of, um, what's the best word for it, of archetypes that this show is working with. So when I look at, uh, when I look at Shizu, I see a little bit of Nana Osaki from Nana. I see a little bit of a bunch of tragic heroine characters in that archetype. And here's where I'm going to start comparing this show to Log Horizon. Because Log Horizon does a lot of what this show is doing. And it, do, it does even a lot of like this kind of stock standard isekai stuff, especially stock standard trapped in a video game stuff that this show does. But it doesn't it doesn't suffer for it. And that's because it spends the time, A, it spends the time, it gives the audience the time of day and it spends the time taking the audience through the plot and show and it does some one other thing really clearly. In Slime Fan, everything that needs to happen, and this is partially because this show is working as a power fantasy first, and like a, and using its plot progression to help you with that power fantasy. Anything the characters need to figure out, anything the characters need to do to progress, is like immediately handed to them. Feels pretty. Especially, especially Rimuru, our main character. So, to give you an idea. When they eventually wanted to put all the characters in Jeopardy. What they needed to do. What they needed to like. Concoct a way to get Rimuru out of the country he runs. And lock him out of it. And then put the characters in Jeopardy. Because you can't have... You can't have the big godchild character in the show, in there. And this would go off without a hitch. It wouldn't happen. And... The... The problem with this show becomes... When... They've kind of exhausted that power fantasy of be the strongest... You know, take on, take on everybody, be the strongest, blah, 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 blah. And then the character needs to make a choice, essentially become a demon lord, essentially be to finally just be the strongest thing in this show. And instead of being a, needing to become a demon lord by, by obtaining, by like getting the thing, by getting the RPG thing, because there is, the other thing about the show, there is straight up, an RPG system master character in this world, and it's like a disembodied voice that talks at first only to Rimuru, and then also later to everyone who he's ever like named who's significant. But the thing is, when he needs to go find that answer, the answer is already there. And they link it to... Uh, the other thing about this show is that it constantly covers its ass in the right way. It, it links stuff to 
plot points. But it doesn't feel good when you're like, oh, what do I need to do to become a demon lord? And you're like, head computer says, oh, you've already obtained the demon lord seed. So technically all you need to do, and this is the horrible shit I was talking about, is kill 10,000 people. And at this point in the story, they've, like, built up a big evil army that's coming to kill this, like, nation of monsters. And it's 10,000 soldiers strong. And so Rimuru decides, because he wants to revive all these people who were killed, including um, Shion, who they, like... I think... I think Shion... They do the most with Shion... In order to endear you to her. And that's probably why she stands out in this series so much. Out of all the characters. Who you're supposed to care about in this show. And. That's not to say that like. I thought that she was going to be dead permanently. Because this show has such a. Gives its main character such plot armor. That I knew it wasn't going to kill her. At all. Or I knew if she was going to die, it was going to be such a big, terrifyingly, like, stunning thing that it was going to, that it was going to have to matter and have to be undone, which it was. And the... So he says, okay, I'll become a demon lord and I'm going to kill these 10,000 people to do it. And he... Shows up above this like camp of like this like army this like arm this like armed encampment, and he doesn't even flinch. Just stone cold, fucking ices out these like thousands of people, thousands of people, and it's just it's like instant, and. <laughs> And that was when I encountered the second thing that I have a real problem with with this show. And the second thing I had a real problem with with this show actually came from watching Pocoroso, which if you go listen to Pocoroso, my episode about Pocoroso, which is the last episode in the, um, which is the episode in the feed before this one, you'll know that Pocoroso is a very emotional movie and it takes care to not really judge its characters in ways that you would expect and it doesn't hold it doesn't hold for example it doesn't hold judgment against the male characters it presents them as they are and lets the audience do that part um famously and I'm, I I promise this has a point famously the Hunchback of Notre Dame 2 is an anime. And I I know some of you are screaming at your at your devices right now cuz this is this is an old hat thing and other of you are like what's he talking about? What does he mean? What I mean is is that The Hunchback of Notre Dame was kind of like the Disney movie was kind of a debacle. And it was kind of a debacle because it was based off of a French tragedy that was meant as a like tourism booster for the little church of Notre Dame which is currently I believe being repaired from being very much on fire 
Um, just like it was in that in the play that was uh, once again tourism piece for the for the church. Um, but it was also a, but it was a debacle because it was what it essentially did was it said, Hey, hey, all you kids who might be watching this and this includes me at the time, who might be watching this and are disabled, you are not allowed to have a significant other. Like you are not allowed to have love or like you are not allowed to be seen as attractive you are not allowed to get the girl at the end even if you're the hero you don't get the girl and like because of that one fact it has become this like notorious movie in like circles of disability rights advocates and circles of like Hot, super high functioning disabled people like me and just disabled the disabled community in the world so when Disney and it and this was such a big backlash that even in the night in 1995 or in the late 90s when Disney was like king they they felt that heat and so instead of Disney doing the sequel movie which was I don't which I don't think it was released in theater, but it was like a high-profile direct video release. The Hunchback of Notre Dame was done by by Disney Studios Japan, and functions essentially as a giant apology for the end of the Hunchback of Notre Dame. And it is this movie about Quasimodo, like getting romantically involved with this girl <laughs> who yes is a fucking nut job I'm not kidding you can go watch the movie it's bizarre but like they the act of Disney making that move of Disney Japan's of J Disney Japan studio making that movie showed so much more and them probably concepting concepting it and like fleshing it out shows so much more understanding of what that movie did wrong than the American studio, the American Disney animation studio could probably have understood without someone breathing down their neck. Like, no, you don't, you don't get it. Quasimodo needs a romantic lead. You don't understand. We have so many fucking, we have so much hate mail. It's all about this. Like, it's just all about this. It's not about you writing... It's not about somebody writing piss in the water. <laughs> the Little Mermaid and their kid finding anymore. It's about this. We're pretty... Did you see what they did to Washington in the 60s? We don't want to be like that, motherfucker. For, um, for reference, the single biggest and longest um, occupation of a government building ever is by... A bunch of disabled people in I think the 70s and they just like took a building they just like took a building for like a month and a half gave no shits and took a building um but like my point there is and then you look at something like a silent voice and you look at something like um, Josie's tiger and the fish and you see this fundamental emotional core that Japanese animated properties generally share. 
And that's his sensitivity to like the world and difference and like accept and like a core acceptance that may not exist in reality in Japan. Probably doesn't. Almost definitely doesn't. You know, the nail that sticks up gets hammered down kind of thing. But in the creative class largely is fully intact. I mean, if you look at um, a character like Lady Eboshi from Princess Mononoke, and she's the bad guy in that movie. She's like a bad guy in that movie, but she's not really the bad guy. She's not a bad guy, not really. The bad guy is the, like, mechanism under which she's forced to operate. That means in order for her to, you know, feed, house, and employ almost, like, all these, all these, not just all these women, but all these people, and also feed, house, and employ, like, tons of disabled people in the form of the lepers that, like, make all of her guns, and, like, care for them, and, like, deeply care for them. She has to, like, go and kill the spirit of the forest and bring it to the emperor so she can get a mountain of gold to continue to run this town that she's built for all, for not just her, but, like, all the people that depend on her. And the, her becoming disabled at the end of that movie shows this transformation of her from the, like, person playing within the system to a person who has the realized she had the ability to, like, look outside of this box that the world has placed her in and find a way to really still do it. Because those are the things she cares about at her core. She doesn't care about the head of the forest spirit. She cares that that's a means to an end. And that emotional core is not, it's not, that kind of emotional core is kind of absent from this show. And, like, the reason I say that, and it's, it goes back to Shizu, ultimately. Like, she, and I think the show says this to your face when you, um, when, when you meet Leon for the first, when you meet Leon in person for, like, the second time. When, when Rimuru confronts Leon, the thing Leon says was, yeah, I summoned her to this world. Her options were live with the fire spirit in her or die. I gave her the fire spirit and I employed her and, like, had her helping to better the world for much of her life. And when Shizu, when Shizu was a lot, when Shizu was alive, she didn't seem like, she didn't seem like she was particularly resentful of Leon, of Leon by the end. They show tons of clips of like, Leon, who's a very Howl's Moving Castle-like figure, who's a very Howl from Howl's Moving Castle-like figure, like, interacting with Shizu, explaining things to her, and, like, being very patient and not demanding a ton from her. And he just says it when Rimuru confronts him, like, you can believe what you want, but I... 
I did good by that girl. <laughs> like she, she, from what from everything I understand, she was a when she showed up to me, she was already about to die, and I gave her the fire spirit to keep her alive, to like per, to give her life again, and it's almost like Rimuru doesn't care. It's like he hasn't heard it, and the other thing is like. He has this. Rimuru has taken this on himself. Shizu never asked him to do this. She never, like. She never. She told him what happened, and he jumped from A to all the way to Z without stopping and wondering, like, why did he do this? Why did he do that? Like, all this stuff. And they set up the like one of the last things they set up in season two of this show is the confrontation between Leon and um, Rimuru. But the thing you have to understand and you have to remember is, and this is possibly true of most people at the table, at, at like at this like at the at Walpurgis, the like Demon Lord meeting, the Demon Lord dinner party thing they all go to. Is everybody had done this? Is most of the people, lots of the people at the table have done the thing that Rimuru has done, and that is kill ten thousand people to become a to awaken as a true demon lord, and that includes, you know, fun-loving characters like Malim, and Malim is like another is another. Um, what's the best word for it? Is it? Is another demonstration of the tonal imbalance and of the lack of emo of emotional investment that this show has, and that's because you see Malim everywhere for this show, and that's because once again she's a great character design, but she's not in it all that much, and when she is, it's not really that affecting. And they don't hold that character design for the entire time. Like, her character design shifts into something totally different. That is also a good design, but isn't, like, as effective as the design that you start with. And it's just... I look at this show, I, watching this show, I felt kind of... Not, certainly not as bad. Um, I felt kind of the same way I felt... When I was watching Akamiga Kill, in that I was like, this is what people are, like, jazzed for? This is what, pe this is what does it for people? Like, I, I, don't get me wrong, I'm not going full cosplay fiend or folk tailor and being like, the fuck's with the sweater vest? But, like, it's not... The show did not emotionally resonate the way a show does... The way one of these shows can. And it also doesn't... I think my biggest problem with this show is that it doesn't... It presents these things as if they have problems to be solved. And then immediately presents the solution. Or like... When... They'll try to do something that's similar to... Something that you would see in something like Log Horizon. Like they'll try to so disc... Like to the scene where a bunch of antagonist characters are trying to sow discord in 
the city. In, in um in the in the like town that that Rimuru had built up, and essentially the city that Rimuru had built up, and it starts to work, and then it's immediately disposed of, and it's like not. The thing about power struggle stories is like, and I think this this is the thing that this is the lesson that Slime Fan learned wrongly from Sword Art Online, and the thing that Sword Art Online does so bad that it makes pe it makes people crazy, and the thing, and also the thing. That now Shield Hero is doing so bad that it's like pe turning people off. And that is that it's not giving you a struggle. It's giving you problems that you can cheer for the main character for as they're solving them. But they're not hard problems. They're not big terrifying mysteries. Whereas something like... Log Horizon takes all of the systems it's playing with, takes all of the rules of the world, takes rules of the world that were applied at the beginning of the show when they were all trapped in the game to begin with, and adds things one at a time and creates this big mystery that needs to be solved. And the best part about it is, is you're not... You don't know what the solution is. You can guess, or you can know if you've read ahead in the source material. I don't know what the source material for Log Horizon is. I suspect it's a light novel. Um, but it... You, you don't know if you haven't read ahead, but you can guess. And you're... At no point does your... Does your, um, audio, does, do, does the main character, does, um, what's his face, um, the main character of, um, the, the, the main character of, of, um, Log Horizon know? He, uh, Shiro doesn't know either. And so, you're figuring, you're seeing all the puzzle pieces go together at the same time he is. And sometimes he's even putting them together for you. Not entirely, but giving you... But, like, showing you what the pieces are, even. And... This is, like... The Jigsaw puzzle has been solved a week ago, and Rimuru is bored, so he smashes it into a million pieces on his way to get another puzzle. That he already knows how to solve. And it's just not, it's not fun. After a while, it's not fun. And it's like... The battles aren't even really that fun because there's no stakes to them. And they're not particularly... It, they have a kind of Dragon Ball Z dryness to them <laughs> in a real way. And once you add on this like lack of... like the, Not just this lack of emotional coreness that I talked about. But this, like, this glee for violence that feels, and maybe this is why it's so popular, that feels very American. 
like Rimuru does not seem regretful about a he doesn't seem regretful about killing these ten thousand soldiers. B he does it in like the most cold, nightmarishly terrifying way possible. Like all of a sudden. It's raining tiny droplets through people's brains one at a time. And, like, people are, like, talking to their friend and see the life drain from their eyes. And they're freaking the fuck out. It's not like he snapped his finger. And the entirety of the of this military platoon, of this military outfit just vanishes. It's like they all see each other die one at a time. It's like a horrifying nightmare scenario. And... They, what they don't do with these characters is they, like... One of the most interesting things about Attack on Titan is that they took the main character of that show and they made him into the bad guy. And, like, and, and what that does in that show is it says, no, this is the fucking line. <laughs> like, the... Not, not like, the, he, like, travels back over to the good side eventually, but not really. But, like, they at least present a concept of, like, this is the fucking line. This is, this is, this is the line, and you crossed it, buddy. It's actually the line was, like, a hundred feet back in the opposite direction. You crossed it a while ago. You're the problem. Congratulations. And this show just isn't willing to do that. It's not willing to shift the perspective out of this power fantasy into, a like, what does this look like when, like, one of these Imperial soldiers' family, like, families realize that, like, dad's not coming home? What did, like, what did that look like? What did that play out as? And I have no confidence that the show will ever do that. Since it, this, this show doesn't seem... I know it isn't fair to compare this to season 4 of Attack on Titan. Because Attack on Titan has more time. And is doing more interesting things with it. Um, and is saying more about violence and the nature of violence as a whole. Than Slime Fan would ever hope to. But... Slime Sand would never start you on a next episode, at least from what I've seen, with a character that's totally unrelated. Like, when you when you start season four of um Attack on Titan, you are dropped media res into a whole different thing. You're dropped in to, like, a Nazi youth platoon who, led by just the shittiest little girl who eventually grows up to realize that she'd been, like, coerced and brainwashed into believing that she's better because she's a normal white lady. And, like, she shouldn't be so gleefully, like, because she's... No, actually not because she's a normal white lady. Because she's one of the good ones. And like she become she realizes that even among 
the good ones, she was the only one who believed in it, who believed in this nonsense anyway. And it, it's so, it so becomes this weird night, it's like, in that way, it so becomes a different thing. And it gives you a totally different perspective on the show. And you stay with these kids for a while. Like, when you encounter Aaron, you're like, holy shit, we're still in the same show? What's happening? And this show doesn't, has no interest in giving you that kind of out, outside perspective to these characters who have now become, like, the strongest things in the in any room they're in. And that's the problem. It's like, that strength without perspective isn't very, isn't very good. It isn't very entertaining. Now, I know some of you... Now, if some of you are thinking, well, Alex, what about, like, the, um, event, the, the recent events in the One Piece manga? The events in the One Piece manga are a... Ichiro Oda has... He has a plan in his head. You know it because he told it to a Make-A-Wish kid and then the kid died. Because that man... I'm sure that man checked like, this kid's gonna die, right? Yep, okay, here at the end of One Piece. Um, but... The... The... Like... Thing in that show... Is... The thing in that... In that case, is amplifying a, a aspect of that character that has always existed. That has just always been there. The thing in this case is that it's a... In the case of Slime Sand, they're presenting this power fantasy that you were... They're presenting this power fantasy in the story... That at no point are you given a whole lot to latch onto. I actually have the same problem with Tanya the Evil. Although the thing with Tanya the Evil is it's about Nazis. So that's what the conversation becomes about. Rightfully so. Um, but like, you don't spend enough time with the main character before he dies. You don't spend enough time. You don't spend enough time seeing the main character or any of the side or the significant side characters struggle in a real way and when you have these big nightmare doom and gloom like boss characters like Diablo or like Noir his, uh, his other more crew name whatever you want to call it they don't seem to add up to much they don't seem to matter like Noir's goal is not to like, take over the world or anything, as far as you can tell, is just to serve. And, like, you know, it's not... There, A, there are better shows, but B, it's not, it's not compelling. And it doesn't... It's the, the lack of, like, time given to stuff to give it real emotional rev resonance affects you for the entire show. And also they like do things they do things in the show that they immediately undo 
Like when they're saying like Malim, like Malim, a character you're supposed to care about, but who forces herself on the main character, and the main character's like, oh, I guess we're friends now. Um, and then he ca- and then he like cared to death when he shows up when like he finds out she's being mind controlled, and it turns out that she wasn't mind controlled, but didn't tell anybody that she wasn't mind controlled, and just like snaps out of it in the middle and was like, no, fuck you. It's like they they're not. They're not doing the work for this kind of stuff. They're not setting anything up. They're not paying anything off properly. And it shows. And I like I went into this being like, oh, people really love this. People say this is a good one of these. And I guess that's why I've been like trashing it for an hour. Because I'm more than a little disappointed. Because it it's... Like, even, I think, slightly worse than standard Shonen Fair. Don't get me wrong, it's not, like, slightly pro-slavery, like, fucking S.H.I.E.L.D. hero. But it's not... It's not playing with the form enough. It's not... It, and I'll, I'll tell you the real first, like, my real first thing. When I realized... That they were that part of the reason why Shizu died is so you can give um, Rimuru a a human body, so you can put you can take this little slime who this like slime character, which is a big old like water blob like a like a plush, and give him a human body that you can like imprint on. I was just like, really. We can't just have monsters. We can't just, like, have the main character be a tiger. Be, be like a sentient tiger. And then they do that with Valdora once Valdora becomes a, a part of the, a part of the cast proper. By the second season. And you're like, why does he have to have a human body? Like, why can't he just have a dragon friend? That seems so much more fun and interesting. And I, if you're going to play with the form, play with the form. The thing I will give Shield Hero is that show starts off in a really interesting place. And then once it removes that, once it removes that weight from its main character's shoulders, it just backslides into another one. And I feel like this one, as soon as they get out of Rimuru being a blob thing... They backslide into another one. Really quickly. And a little bit even before that. But until that point. Your main character is like a little blobule. And like you're being asked to like. Identify with this little squishy boy. And it. And then they. Give him like a human body. And they give him a human body that's like. Defined as sexless. But like very pretty boy-esque. And it just, it all, it all, like, it all, like, kind of sucks more than a little. So, on that note, if you like this episode, um, definitely check out new episodes of the podcast every Thursday and every other Sunday, which means next Sunday will be a new Sunday edition. Thursdays are like this, they're 
conversations about shows or movies or properties, generally animated or anime or anime related. Sunday is more metatextual. Um, but on that note, I've been Alex. This has been Lunchbox Radio. And I will talk to you on Sunday. Let